Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Again, it is a joy to have you in the Lord's house today. If you have your Bibles, would love for you to join me in, uh, in uh, Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Two weeks ago, I started a sermon, had 10 points. I preached the first five, and I'm coming to you today to give you the second half of that sermon. Uh, the title of the message is Remembering to Live Like Jesus. Remembering to Live like Jesus. As you're finding your place, I don't know if you heard the story or not, but there were two farmers uh, that uh, one was really a grumpy gut and the other one was a very positive Paul. I mean, he was very positive. And the other one just had to seem to have an attitude of always complaining. I don't know if you know anybody like that. I mean, they never can see the good. They always see the bad. Well, there were these two farmers in that, in that boat. One was very positive. One was very negative. Uh, one day, uh, the, po- the positive uh, pastors, or excuse me, the positive farmer said, you know what, I think I'm going to take the negative farmer hunting. I'm going to take him duck hunting because he's always complaining. Uh, when the sun was shining, the positive farmer said, oh, I am so grateful for the sunshine. The plants are getting the nourishment that they need. They're getting everything that they need. And the negative farmer would say, man, if it don't stop, sun, if the sun doesn't go behind the clouds, it's going to scorch everything and ruin the, ruin the crops. When it would rain, the positive farmer would say, praise the Lord, thank God for the rain. It's going to give the nutrition that the plants need. The negative farmer would look and he would say, man, if it don't rain, it's going to kill all the crops. Well, they went hunting on this particular day and uh, the positive farmer really thought he was going to get the negative farmer. So they were sitting in the boat and the positive farmer had bought a new hunting dog. He turned to the negative farmer and he said, hey, I want you to watch this. He pulled the trigger and he shot a duck and it landed right in the water. That dog immediately jumped out of the boat and ran on top of the water. Grabbed that bird and brought it all the way back and put it in the boat. Never once hit the water. I mean ran on top of the water, grabbed it, ran back and put it in the boat. And the positive farmer turned to the negative farmer and said, Now you tell me what you think about that. The negative farmer shook his head. He said, I knew it. He said, That crazy dog can't even swim. You know, depending upon how you look at a situation, you can either have a good attitude or you can have a poor attitude. As a pastor, I've sat by the bedside of a lot of people that were on their way to death. And I have met individuals that had looked at death from a positive perspective, and I've looked at individuals and sat with people that looked at death as a negative perspective. As a born-again child of God, death is a door. It's a door to heaven. When we die in Jesus Christ, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As I've sat with Christians by their bedside on several occasions, uh, some have given me some really encouraging words and others have given me some very discouraging words. But probably one of the saddest things that I hear as a pastor as I sit by the bedside and even have an opportunity to talk about a memorial service that we're going to do for that loved one that's passing away If I had a dollar for every time I've heard this, I'd be a rich man. They would say something like this to me. Pastor, at my service, 
Will you please just ask my children to stop fighting? Just ask them to get along. I've met many people on their deathbed ask me to do their memorial service that would simply communicate to their family, to their children specifically, stop fighting. I've had others that I've sat by the bedside in which they have very uh, joyfully said, tell my family that I love them, uh, tell them that I can't wait to see them in heaven, everything's going to be okay. The point that I'm making is simply this. There are preparations for death and things we want to say at the end of our life. Paul, in this passage of Scripture, is heading towards death. He knows he's not going to make it out of this situation alive. And he knows that if he has to communicate, and he does have to communicate, to the pastors at Ephesus, he wants to encourage them in such a fashion that they live for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you today to think about this. When you die, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? When they look at your life and see how you lived your life, how will they remember you? Paul was very specific and he says, Listen, I want you to remember me because I'm going to Jerusalem. And as I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to take this offering to the church at Jerusalem. And as I take that to the church of Jerusalem, then after that, I'm going to go to Rome. Now, I'm making plans to go to Spain, but I know that there are trials and tribulations and difficulties that are awaiting me in Jerusalem. And I know it's not going to be an easy task, but I'm going. And as I go, I want you to know this will be the last time I'm going to see you. And there are several things I want you to remember about my life. And we looked at those uh, last uh, two weeks ago. The first one we looked at was to remember his character. Paul, Paul says, I want you to remember my character. He says, your character is important. And I don't have time to preach all this again. I just want to review very quickly. The bottom line on his character was this. I came to you in humility, I ministered to you in humility, and I'm leaving with a humble spirit, a humbleness of my heart and mind, and I'm challenging you to live humbly before the Lord. Could I just say that's good for us today? It is good for us today to live a life of humility before the Lord. Uh, we're living in a culture today where we are so prideful. We are so proud of the fact that we're Americans. We're so proud of the fact that uh, we're all-inclusive. We're so proud of the fact that, that we have all of these inclusions and that we uh, are, are so tolerant. And we fail to see that in our, quote, tolerance is where we sin and fail. And we as born-again children of God have an obligation, an opportunity to present the love of God to a lost and dying world. And to do so, we must do it, as Paul says here, that we must do it in humility. He says, remember my humility. He says, number two. He says, the second thing, I want you to remember my concern. Remember my concern. He said, I had this concern. I, with great tears, he said, I came to you. What were those tears over? Tears were over lost people dying and on, our way, on their way to hell. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I ask you, do you weep over lost people? When's the last time you were so burdened over lost people that you wept over them? There are people in our city right here in, in Maysville. There are people uh, in our county, in Jackson County, in Banks County, in Hall County, uh, all around us that are lost, dying, and on their way to hell. And they need to hear a gospel witness. And we must be broken for the lost in order for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
to the lost. And then the third thing he says, he says, remember my calamity. He said, I came to you even when I was persecuted. He said, man, you remember that I came to you. When I came to you, I was beaten. I was run out of town. I was run out of this town. I was run out of that town. Remember this. Paul is simply saying, remembering his calamity, the gospel is not popular. The gospel divides. But the gospel is what sets us apart from any other religion in the world. The Bible says that we can know that when we die, we're going to heaven. Why? Because just as they sang just a few moments ago, let my Jesus change your life. He's the only one that can take a wretch and make him a saint. God, through his great love for us and Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, gave us the remedy for sin. Gave us the remedy to be able to have a connection with God, a relationship with God. And that remedy, that cure for sin is Jesus Christ. And we find here that Paul says, remember my calamity. Even when it was hard, I came to you. Brothers and sisters, I'd say just simply this by way of application. Even though it's hard in our culture today, it should not negate the fact that we share the gospel with a lost and dying world. And we may get persecuted for it, Tom. We may get chewed out. We may even get cussed out. But we must not fail in getting the gospel to the nations. And then there's the fourth one. He says, remember my communication. He says, remember, I held nothing back from you. I gave it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm afraid we're living in a culture today where you listen to any preacher there on a given Sunday morning on TV or even here online. They're not coming to you with all the facts. There's this social gospel that's being preached in our culture today that simply says this, you come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and everything becomes roses and flowers. You're not going to have any trials. You're not going to have any tribulations. You're not going to have any difficulties. And because of this gospel message that's being preached, this false gospel message, this gospel of prosperity, you look online and you get the religious news or, or look at any type of religious paper and you see every single week somebody comes out and says that they're denouncing their faith or they're deconstructing their faith. What, what are they saying? They're rejecting the simple plan of salvation. Why? Because they were promised all these wonderful things and, when you come, and they come to Christ and it's been nothing but calamity and hardship and hard times and difficulties and loved ones dying. And Paul simply says in regards, he said, I held nothing back from you. When you come to Christ, you will divide families brothers and sisters I'm telling you today the gospel has been no it has been so divisive it's just as divisive as today as it was in the first century and we cannot hold back the truth of the gospel and the gospel message is that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was buried, and he rose again the third day. And whoever accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord has salvation, a connection with God. And that connection with God simplifies, if you would, the relationship that was separated by sin. And now you have a relationship with God Almighty. And because of that relationship with Jesus... 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
So regardless of the trial, regardless of the tribulation, regardless of the difficulty that I go through, as a Christian, my home is in heaven. Not on this earth. I'm a dual citizen. I may live here, but bless God, I live there. And one day I'm going home. He says, remember my communication. He says, remember my calling. He said, I came to you publicly and also came to you house to house. I came to you in settings of public settings where I could preach to you openly with everyone. And then we sat down one-on-one and we communicated together. He says, remember these things because you're not going to see me anymore. And then we pick up here in verse number 21 where he gives us the rest of the story. Let me call your attention to verse 20 uh, if I could. uh, And let's read down to verse number 38. Notice what the scripture says. He says, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you which the Holy Spirit has made uh, you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears." So now, brethren, I command you to go, uh, I command you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these things have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck, and they kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. Here in this text, you see that Paul is, in fact, conducting the very first, if you will, pastor's conference. He's already giving them five points to remember 
And now he gives them five more. They are moved with such compassion towards Paul. They begin to weep and kiss him on his neck and see him off. What are the last five things Paul wants them to remember? I give them to you at this time. Number six, the sixth one is, Paul says, remember my confession. Remember my confession. Confession is such an important thing in every church. Paul had a confession, and he taught these pastors this confession. And this confession was taught to the pastors, and the pastors in turn would teach them to the church, and the church in turn would go and teach them to their families, and the church would teach them to their communities. What was the confession that Paul had? Look at what the Bible says in verse number 21. I hope you have your pens, pencils, lipstick, or mascara. Please, I encourage you to follow along. Look at what the Scripture says and let the Scripture speak to your heart today. The verse number 21, the Bible says, Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, here's his confession, Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's confession. This is our confession, so much so that as Southern Baptists, in our Baptist Faith and Message in Article 4 on, sa on salvation, which, by the way, this is the doctrine of conversion, but it is the theology of soteriology, the doctrine or the theology of salvation. He says this in regard, or we say this as Southern Baptists in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Article 4. Regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace, whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable. They're inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin towards God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and the commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. When you think about that statement of faith that we have, that confession, if you will, it lines up with many passages of Scripture. Passages of Scripture like Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where the Bible says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Luke chapter 5 verse 32. I have not come to call you call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 13 verse 3. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Luke chapter 24 verses 46 and 47. This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in the name of all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, that for, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem, and all in the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do the works worthy 
of repentance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Scripture after scripture after scripture talks about repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Why is that so important? Because remember, when John the Baptist came on the scene, he preached repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would repent, and they would, and they would show that repentance through baptism. And then Jesus comes along, and he says, Not only must you repent, but you must also have faith in Jesus Christ. You must have faith in the Messiah. And it is the same coin, one coin, two sides. It is not a gift of works. I love what J.I. Packard said in his book, Conscious Theology. He said this, quote, Repentance is inseparable from faith. Being the negative aspect, faith is the positive aspect of turning to Christ as Lord and Savior. W.T. Connor, in, the, in his book, Christian Doctrine, said this about this wonderful doctrine. Repentance is simply, is simply the, uh, the uh, getting rid, if you would, of the act of sin. It is uh, shunning the evil and looking towards Jesus Christ and giving your heart to Him. Wayne Grudem says this, Repentance is not equivalent to a demonstration of change in a person's pattern of life. Repentance, like faith, is an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong, an emotional approval of teaching the Scriptures regarding it as sin, and having sorrow for sin and hatred for sin, and a personal decision to turn from that sin. A renouncing of sin and a decision of the will to forsake it and lead a life of obedience instead. When we turn to Christ for salvation from our sins, we are simultaneously turning away from the sins that we are asking Christ to save us. We repent of our sins and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. When I was a 14-year-old boy, I can remember. Uh, I can't tell you what the preacher preached. All I knew that I was under deep, deep conviction. The Holy Spirit had dealt with me during that sermon, and when the invitation came, I thought my heart was going to beat out of my chest. The invitation was given, and it was just simply this. If you would love to repent of your sins, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, then on this verse, would you step out of the aisle, come forward, and please let me share with you how you can trust Christ as Savior. I can remember singing that first verse and hanging on to that seat in front of me so tight. Oh, I didn't want to turn loose. Oh, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And finally, under such deep conviction, I didn't want to die in my sin. I knew Jesus was the Messiah. I knew that I had not confessed Him. I knew I had not repented of my sins. And finally, I had enough. And a decision was made. I turned loose of that seat in front of me. I turned to my peers. I said, y'all got to get out of the way. And I came down front, and I gave my hand to the uh, principal of my school, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Christ and he changed my life forever repent yet have faith in Jesus Christ Paul said this is my confession repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ I want to ask you a question dear friend has there ever been a time in your life where you've repented of your sins 
and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, I, I think so. That's not good enough. It's not good enough just to think that you've done that. You must get that settled, and you must settle it before you die. Paul says, I want you to remember my confession. And then watch what he says next, number seven. He says, I also want you to remember my commitment. Remember my commitment. Look at what the scripture says in verses 22 through 24. He says, and now, he says, and see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Now let me stop right there and look, and I want you to notice something parenthetically if I could. In verse number 22, Paul says, I want you to see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I would underline that. Why? Because do you notice something strange about that verse? Did you notice the word Spirit is not capitalized? It's important because we find here what Paul is referring to is that he is bound in the Spirit. It's not capitalized because Paul is not referring to the Holy Spirit, but he's referring to his own Spirit. He says, I'm going of my own spirit. It's the personal motivation within himself to conscientiously choose to go into a dangerous situation knowing that it's going to bring the Lord glory. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. And as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, look, you can resist him. As a born-again child of God, if you've got Jesus living in him and the Holy Spirit is calling you to go into ministry, he's calling you to be a pastor, he's calling you to be a missionary, you can resist that. You can say, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Uh, God calling you to be a Sunday school teacher, calling you to be a children's worker, calling you to lead youth, calling you to use your gifts. You just say, no, I, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't want to do that. You can resist that. But the Holy Spirit will use that conscience inside of you to goad you and encourage you to make the right decision, but He will not make you do it. That's on you. Paul simply knows that Jesus Christ has saved him. He has surrendered his life. He has a mission He's to go into all the world and share the gospel. The great commission has been given to Paul. He is ready to go. He's on fire for Jesus Christ. He's, he's cool. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And God says, I want you to go everywhere. So Paul looks at his missionary journeys. He looks at his trips and he says, I've got to get the gospel to Rome. I've got to get the gospel to Spain. But first, I've got to get this offering. I promised this offering to the church at Jerusalem. I've got to get this to them. And Paul is telling these pastors, he says, I want you to remember the commitment that I had. And this commitment that I have is to get the gospel into all the world. Remember this commitment. Because there are going to be opportunities that arise within your culture... And it may be dangerous. You see, there's this saying out there that says that uh, uh, God will never put you in a dangerous situation. That's not true. God could put you in a very dangerous situation. I think about uh, the Elliots when they went to the Indians. As they went to those Indians, they thought for sure that that, uh, uh, this is going to be a great opportunity. And it was a great opportunity. 
but they knew it could cost them their life, and it did. And it wasn't till many generations later that they finally come to know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So brothers and sisters, when you have this strong urging within you, prompting your conscience as a born-again child of God to make a decision concerning the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit goading you to do something. And it must be done, even if the consequences result in danger and even death. It's our duty to follow the direction of God. And the results are up to Him. It means that tomorrow, when we get up and we go to work, knowing that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives and we're born again children of God, and we remember the commitment that Paul had, that he was drawn to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he had made the conscious decision, I'm going, the Holy Spirit said go, he's goading my conscience, I'm moving in that direction. So too, when we're at work and the Holy Spirit begins to goad us to share the gospel with that co-worker or to do something for the kingdom with our business. I had a phone call one day and an individual on the other end owned a business and he just simply said this. He says, I want to make some kingdom investments. God has blessed my business and I'm under deep conviction. The Holy Spirit He's given me such discernment inside that I want to make kingdom investments. What can I invest in financially for the kingdom of God? One business owner said at Christmas time, I make sure I get all my employees to come in. And he says, I pay them. I pay them to come in and I get them in front of me just for an hour and I share the Christmas story with them. Fulfilling the commitment that God has led them to. Can I ask you a question, sir, ma'am? Are you fulfilling the commitment that God has called you to? Paul says, remember my commitment. Look at what he says in verse number 23. He says, except that the Holy Spirit here, you see the capital Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is testifying in every city saying that change and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I know there's trials. I know there's tribulations. I know there's hard times coming from me. He says, but it does not move me. What does he mean by that? Move me. It's not moving him out of the race. He's not going to go sit on the sidelines. He's not going to allow a a pandemic to stop him from sharing the gospel. He's not going to allow uh, death threats to stop him from sharing the gospel. He's not going to allow arrest to stop him from sharing the gospel. He just simply says, I want to finish my race Watch this. Look at the text. I want to finish my race with joy. If you want to finish your race strong, if you want to die strong as a strong Christian, then look at your race as a joy, not as a chore. Paul looked at his race and he said, I'm going to finish. And he didn't use the term strong. He just said, I'm going to finish strong. He said, no, I'm going to finish with joy. And here's a practical application of this text that, that I really challenge you with this morning. 
Are you having joy in your race? Is your Christian walk a joy or is it a chore? Let's evaluate what you did this morning. When you got up this morning, did you get up and put your feet on the floor and go, I got to go to church today? Yeah, there, there were seasons in, in my life where Miriam got get up out of the bed and say, Where's Shane? And I'd say, I'm down here. She'd get down there and look underneath the bed and she said, Buddy, you got to get out. You're the pastor. You got to come out from under there. Come on. Does that describe your, the way you felt this morning? No, it's not. That's just a joke. I, I great joy in my heart to get up and say, Man, I don't have to go to church today. I get to go to church today. Do you realize that there are people out there today, there are individuals all over the world today, that they are going to church at the expense of their life. And yet we can come, get up this morning, dress up, put on our finest clothes, uh, get in the car, fight all the way to the uh, church. <laughs> Turn around and say, okay, we're here, everybody smile. Get out of the car. Come into the church. We get to do this without anybody questioning our freedom. You say, well, preacher, I'm, a, I'm afraid that's going to change. It might. It might change. But it hadn't changed today. And like old Tammy Wynette used to sing, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking from you. God has given us today. So let's run our race with joy. It is a joy to be here. It is a joy to serve the Lord. It is a joy to be able to share the gospel. It is a joy to be able to participate in the functions of the church. It is a joy to see you here. It's a joy to laugh with you on Sunday mornings. It's a joy to weep with you on Sundays. It is a joy to live life together. If it's a joy, say amen right there. Number eight, I gotta hurry. He says, also remember my caution. Paul says, remember my caution, verses 25 through 31. I've got to hurry. Look at this. This is a very lengthy section. Let's go through it very quickly. He says, indeed, now he says, I, I know that you all among you whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify uh, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul just simply says this. I remember, I didn't hold anything back from you. I shared the gospel with you, so I'm innocent. I'm innocent. If you die without Jesus Christ, it will not be because I told you. I shared the gospel with you. And then he goes on to say there, verse number 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. He said, I've told you everything. And he's reiterating this because it's going to be such a problem when you don't. Because there's going to be people come in and try to steal the church. He says in verse 28, he says, Therefore, because of this, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So application here. Let's apply this present tense imperative to my position. I am your shepherd. I am to shepherd you as Jesus Christ has bought us 
with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am to do so from the perspective that I know, verse 29, for know this, that, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I am to shepherd you knowing that there are people coming inside the church wanting to steal your joy. Wanting to steal your faith. Wanting to steal your hope. And I'm here to tell you every Sunday morning, don't listen to the lies. And then he goes on to say this. He says, also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples to themselves. There are going to be individuals that say, well, you know what? It's not important that you go to church. It's not important that you that you assemble together. You can have church anywhere. And Paul says, listen, they're coming. And they're going to speak such perverse things that they're going to try to draw the disciples away from themselves. So, so let me ask you a question today. Think, think about your relationship with, with believers here in this congregation. Is your relationship with other believers growing? Or is it diminishing? Are you listening to the culture? The culture says that what we do on Sunday morning, especially religious culture, religious culture teaches that what we do on Sunday morning is, is ought to be in some form of entertainment. We understand, though, as New Testament Christians, we are not here to be entertained. We are here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords to get the instruction from the Word of God so that we can leave this place today and we can exercise and flesh out the principles that we've learned from Scripture this week. So in challenging ourselves today to look at this caution that Paul gives, we have got to remember that we should be cautious today with all the religious voices that are echoing in our ears today in relationship to worship. We do not come here on Sunday morning to be entertained. We come here to worship the King of Kings. And as we worship the Lord today, we do so with open hearts and open hands. That's why we don't have fog machines up here. One of them crazy balls in the center, got the lights going here. This is not a show. This is worship. So Paul says, I want you to remember my caution. There are going to be those that come into the church and they're going to try to change everything. And then he closes with the last two. He says, remember my commendation. Verse 32 through 34. He's going to commend them. He says, don't forget this. He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He, he's simply saying this. He's saying, pastors, I want to build you up so that when you go to the church, you too can build up the church. And from that, there'll be an inheritance that comes from the congregation of lost people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. He, simply put, he's simply saying this. And he, he mentions this in the pastoral epistles. He mentions the fact that as a Christian, as a pastor... It's my responsibility and the pastors that God has put over you on the staff to help you 
do the work of the ministry so that we together, not, not just me, not just the pastors, but we all share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all do the work of the ministry. Not just the pastors, but all of us. All of us do the work of the ministry. I, I uh, mentioned two weeks ago where Paul said that I go from, not only did I come to you publicly, but I went to house to house. I said, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out how we can get back uh, to, to visitation. That is so vital. We've got to figure that out. But I'll tell you this. While we're trying to figure it out, one of the most major aspects that we need to go ahead and apply is that we go to house to house individually. Wherever we go. It's not that you can only share the gospel on a Monday night or you only share the gospel on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or you only share the gospel on Wednesday night. No, the Great Commission is present-day imperative verbs that says, as you are going. So as you go on Monday, as you go on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yes, there are people in, the, in Sanford Stadium on a Saturday that need Jesus. And then there are people in our community that need Jesus every day of the week. He says, remember my commendation. And his commendation to these pastors, watch this, I, can't, I cannot leave this on the table. I've got to give it to you before I close. He says, this commendation really comes in two forms. First one's found in verse 32. Look at it. Watch this. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no man's silver and no man's gold or apparel. What is Paul saying there? He's simply telling these pastors this. Don't be greedy. As a pastor, I can't be greedy. And as a Christian, we shouldn't be greedy. And you think about the greed today that exists in our culture today, and think about these pastors that are out there. Multi-million dollar pastors. Popular pastors. Paul says, do not be greedy. And the second thing he says in his, comment, uh, in his commendation is he also says, trust God. Look again in verse number 32. He says, So brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He simply says, trust God. Trust God and, not, and do not be greedy. Look at what he says in verse 34. He says, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. Paul said, To the best of my ability, I try to communicate two things to you. Number one, trust God. Number two, avoid greed. Brothers and sisters, this thing we must do. We must trust God and avoid being greedy. And then the last one, and this is the final one, he simply says, Remember... It's all about Jesus' compassion. Look at verse 35. Remember, it's all about Jesus' compassion. He says, For I have shown you every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak, and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, that He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul simply says this. I want you to look back in those nine statements that I just gave you. 
Paul says, I've asked you to remember nine things. He says, all nine of these things are summed up in what Jesus has taught us through his own language. It's more better to give than receive. So Paul is saying here, Paul is saying, I'm giving you the character of Jesus. It's humility. I'm giving you the concern which is tears. Remember Jesus from the cross. Jesus wept at the tomb of of Lazarus. Jesus wept over people. He says, remember, it's more blessed to give. Jesus gave us humility. Jesus gave us tears. He says, remember the calamity. Jesus went through trials. And let's go through the trials the same as Jesus went through the trials. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember the calling of God. The calling of God. Jesus counted himself not of any reputation, but humbled himself and became a man to die on Calvary's cross. Remember Jesus' confession? It's more blessed to give than to receive. He gave himself that we might repent of our sins and trust Christ as our Savior. Remember Jesus' commitment. He died and was buried. Remember Jesus' caution. They're coming. Be faithful. Remember Jesus' commendation. Jesus said, I'm coming back for you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus was all about compassion. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul, in the first pastor's conference that was ever held, looked at those men and said, Remember Jesus. I come to you today to simply remind you of the words that Paul said. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Him. And as you remember Him, ask yourself this question. Is my spiritual journey a joy? Paul says, I see what's coming. It may get tough, it may get hard. But I see joy. Because the final destination, when I cross that finish line, when I finish my race, I'll be with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, We're going to finish this race one day. Whether it be by death or by the rapture, we're going to finish our race. Let's run it. And run it in such a way that it's a joy. Would you join me in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe your life's not a joy. Maybe it is really far from joyful. And maybe you're struggling today. You're struggling from the perspective that This journey that you're on is hard. And you so desperately want relief. So could I ask you this morning to repent of your sins and to trust Jesus as your Savior? Say, Pastor, how would I do that? I mean, I I hear you say it, but how do I do that? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So, brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Friend, listen to me. If there's never been a time in your life where you repented of your sin and trusted Christ as Savior, 
simultaneously at the same time. When you die, you'll go to hell. Today, you must make a decision for Jesus. You say, I want to do that, preacher. Then right where you're sitting today, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, reflecting upon your own personal, personal life, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent from my sin. I turn from my sin. And I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. By faith, I trust in Christ. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.